the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome to The Dan Proft Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dan tonight. And we are joined now by Francis Menton, the Manhattan Contrarian. Check out his website at ManhattanContrarian.com. Francis, thanks for being on the program. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, and good day to all. Francis, you've got a piece uh, at your website uh, headlined, Texas, Time to Get Rid of This Ridiculous Wind Power. And I think the ongoing disaster in in Texas has opened a lot of people's eyes to the unreliability of of so-called green energy. It's amazing that their eyes haven't been opened before this, but I've been, I'm kind of involved in the climate skeptic movement, and many of those people who are my friends think that if only we could present the science and the engineering of renewable energy in a more rational way, we would start convincing people how ridiculous this is. And my position, uh, and recognize I was in the litigation business uh, trying to convince people of things for my whole life like you, but my position has been people will only wake up when the penetration of the unworkable things gets to the point that it starts to fail. And I would say, thankfully, we're getting there. If we we didn't get there, people would never wake up. No, I think you're right, Francis. I think the light bulb goes on the first time the light bulb doesn't go on. In other words, most people, as long as every time they flip the switch, there go the lights, they don't pay much attention to these debates. As far as they're concerned, uh, the power supply is reliable. But the first time you flip the switch and the lights don't go on, or the first time you're riding in an elevator, all of a sudden the elevator stops and the lights go out because the wind stopped blowing somewhere. Uh, that's when you realize how unreliable uh, these types of energy really are. What I've been hoping for is that the jurisdictions that go craziest for renewable energy, the Californias, the New Yorks, the South Australias, the Germanys, would take the penetration so far that they would start having big failures and there have been a few, um, but only a few so far, because the penetration isn't that far. But they would start having big failures before the United States went over the cliff. And we've now had a pretty big failure in Texas. We've had some pretty notable failures in California, uh, but it's only just begun. And it hasn't gone far enough to keep them from trying to take the United States off a cliff, which is what really concerns me. And when 
when the whole United States goes down this road, it's going to be very hard to get back. And let's talk, Francis, about exactly what has been happening in in Texas. Obviously, this whole thing was precipitated by a record uh, cold front, which is a little bit ironic, given all the hysteria about global warming. But, of course, the the, the leftists have just hopped right over that, that issue. So there was this record cold front, and it did several things. Uh, the wind turbines froze up, many of them, not all, but many of them froze up and, and, and wouldn't turn. But that may have made, not made a lot of difference because the wind wasn't blowing anyway. Uh, but the other thing that happened is that a lot of natural gas uh, pipelines uh, froze up. So not only was Texas not getting wind energy, it also wasn't getting its its regular supply of natural gas. Is that, is that a, a pretty basic summary, do you think, of, of, of how this happened? Well, that's a pretty basic summary. The natural gas, there was freezing in the natural gas. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm not actually there to observe this, of course. I'm here in lovely Manhattan, where it is also snowing right now. And some of the natural gas did freeze up, but uh, most of the natural gas kept working. I, I hadn't actually, when I did my blog post a few days ago, I hadn't actually found the day-by-day statistics on which source generated uh, how much power day-by-day day and hour-by-hour. Hour. I've since actually managed to find that. And the natural gas uh, output in Texas fell by about 20 to 30% from a peak on February uh, 14 or so, Valentine's Day, until uh, the 16th, as an example. So, so there was a pretty big fall there. Uh, but the wind energy, which is something like 40% of their capacity uh, uh, produced at a, a peak of that, about less than a third at, at the most of of what its rated capacity was, and at times less than one percent. Actually, actually, <laughs> actually, Francis, you're exactly right. I, you know, as you know, I run a think tank called Center of the American Experiment. We do a lot of work on energy. One of the leading experts uh, on energy, a couple of the lead, leading experts in the country on energy, work for my organization. And one of them has a post at our website just this morning. It's called the website is AmericanExperiment.org. And Mitch Rowling has this post. But the highest that, that, that wind energy ever got at any, over any hour through this whole fiasco was 19% of its nameplate capacity, or really alleged capacity. That was the best it ever did, 19%. Of course, the worst was uh, zero. Yeah, well, I, I don't have – I seem to have an hour-by-hour chart that comes from the EIA, Energy Information Agency. That's a U.S. – energy department thing and it never shows a zero but it does show a uh, well less than one percent yeah you know i misspoke not quite zero but but he said virtually for all practical purposes you know nothing for all practical purposes nothing and uh, and of course what is the point if it isn't there when you need it the, the rest of the time a lot of the time it produces excess and it drives the it drives the market spot prices right to zero, and uh, you don't need it at all. And they don't have any ability to export it. Uh, Germany actually has come up with a thing with Poland. I don't know if you know about this, but Germany is interconnected with Poland, so that when they – and they have a huge amount of wind power, and their total energy capacity is almost double their peak usage because 
because they have so much wind and they all have to have it all backed up. So that then they get huge excess and they pay Poland to take it, believe it or not. <laughs> Poland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I think, I, I, I think the... but Texas doesn't have that ability because Texas has its independent grid. Right. But I think the fundamental point that needs to be made here, Francis, is that what drove this fiasco in Texas, and by the way, the, the, the water is out, too. It's not only electricity. I've got a daughter who lives in Texas. Her power was out for like four days. That's now been restored as of early this morning. But she still doesn't have any water. I mean, it's, you know, it's unbelievable because water pipes have frozen. So, so to some extent, the Texas fiasco has been driven by kind of fluky cold weather, but 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 that's not really the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is that is that these wind turbines, the best most efficient wind turbines, work about forty percent of the time. Most of the time, there's not enough wind blowing uh, to create electricity. Only about forty percent of the time do they work. Well, what do you do the other sixty percent of the time? You burn natural gas. So whenever they whenever there's a big wind farm development, typically they'll pair it up with a natural gas. Uh, development. And so 60% of the time you're burning natural gas. Well, if that's the case, what do you need the wind turbines for, right? I mean, as you say, Francis, I mean, unreliable energy is really, you know, verging on the worthless. Uh, Yes, worthless in terms of producing energy. However, it does drive up the cost of your electricity. Uh, and, And of course, it's not that wind produces 40% of the time in some predictable way. It's that it produces, and and it doesn't produce 40% uh, all the time. It produces zero, and then it produces 90, and then it produces 23, and then it produces 46, and then it produces zero again. Right, And it goes around at random times. Um, so, there's no possibility of using it without some kind of full backup from something else. So as a as a beginner with wind, you need a second fully redundant system of some kind to to even use it at all. So you've taken you basically have to double the capital cost of your system in order to use wind and that only gets you up to about 40% of your power from wind. And if you want to get higher than 40% of your power from wind, now what? Uh, I mean, there are, there are various other possibilities. For example, you could build 10 times the amount of wind turbines. You're still going to have times when they produce zero, so you need a fully redundant system. We are talking with uh, Francis Menton, the Manhattan country. And Francis, we've got to run to a break, but we're going to be back okay. with another segment uh, after these messages. All right. seat and sharpen your pencils class is in session with professor dan proft and the dan proft show welcome back to the dan proft show we are talking with uh, francis menton the manhattan contrarian francis before the break we were talking about the the texas um energy fiasco and the role that reliance on wind energy has has played there. And I want to shift gears now and talk about another issue that you've been writing about at the uh, Manhattan Contrarian. And that is, uh, let's just, uh, I'll just read the title of your post and you can tell us what's going on. 
The title of your post is More on the Stimulus. We're about to get scammed yet again on poverty. Explain, please. Well, here's what I refer to as the poverty scam. The, Fed, the federal government spends approximately at, at, uh, $800 billion and state and local governments $400 billion, so total of $1.2 trillion per year in anti-poverty programs and redistributions. The number of people said to be in poverty is in the range of 30 to 40 million. And if you divide that out, you find out that the spending is approximately 30,000 plus dollars per person in poverty. And yet the people don't get raised out of poverty. The poverty level is only $26,000 for a family of four. So we're spending four times the poverty level to get people out of poverty and we never get them out of poverty. How could that possibly be? And now hey Francis, can I stop you there for just a moment? Cause yeah. this is so interesting to me. The numbers you just gave are for the federal government, but let me just tell you that in my state of Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, not the County, not the city, the state spends an average of $30,000 in means tested programs per person in poverty using U.S. Census Bureau numbers. So on top of the 30000 per person the feds spend, in my state, there's another 30000 per person, and there's more spending beyond that at, at the county and city levels. So, so where does it go? Not to quibble, but I did include both federal and state. It's $800 billion federal and $400 billion state, and, and your numbers might include state spending, some of which comes from the feds. But, but, uh, but, but where does it go? The answer is... It actually goes to uh, low-income people, not all of whom are in poverty, so some are above the poverty level, but it mostly goes to low-income people, but it almost entirely is not counted when poverty is measured. Uh, And why is that? Because our official definition of poverty uh, is based on what they call cash income. So if you have a job, you get paid cash income, and certain Things count as cash income, like Social Security counts as cash income. But there are 83 means-tested federal programs, and of the 83, 76 do not count. They don't count because they are either in-kind rather than cash, or they are tax credits. Oh, it's pre-tax cash income, I should say that. So so anything that's post-tax does not count. So... So, uh, and, and you start thinking about what the anti-poverty programs are, um, you'll realize that none of them count. Medicaid, that's the biggest one. It's an in-kind distribution. It doesn't count. You could doesn't matter how much you spend on Medicaid, nobody who gets it will ever be relieved from poverty by getting it. Food stamps, it seems awfully close to cash, but it is treated as in-kind, not counted. Uh, Public housing, not counted. Pell Grants, well, how about a big one? The Earned Income Tax Credit, oh, that's post-tax. $80 billion a year, not counted. And and there are 76 of these programs. There are clothing allowances, there are energy allowances, every kind of in-kind program, not counted. Child Tax Credit, not counted. So uh, you talk about Minnesota. Here in Manhattan, a slot in public housing, there, there are miles of waterfront public housing that you would have to pay $100,000 a year easily to rent this water-facing 
apartment if it was on the private market. They're, they are given away to poor people who now have, live in $100,000 a year apartments, and they are treated as being in poverty. That's just the way the counting goes. So so the, the net impact of all of that is that we – what the the poverty numbers are are pretty meaningless. I mean, is that is that the takeaway? The poverty. Well, that's one takeaway. That uh, the poverty numbers are completely fake. Now, when they first started with the definition of poverty back in the sixties, I I actually think they made the definition in good faith or a semblance of good faith, trying to get a handle on what actual poverty is. But they very quickly figured out that they could pass out, they could pass programs and pass out benefits and not count them and go back to the public another couple of years later and say, well, there's still all these people in poverty, we need another program, and grow and grow and grow these programs and never get anybody out of poverty, and at least as measured, and and it would be a never-ending party, and it's only getting worse. And and is it, and and based on the, the title of your post, it sounds like we're seeing more of the same with this. What is it? One point nine trillion dollar stimulus bill that the Democrats are promoting. Is this is this more of the same kind of misleading uh, accounting? Well, there are lots of different pieces to the stimulus bill, but what I was particularly addressing in that post was a piece of the stimulus, which they haven't put a precise number on yet but it's between 150 and 250 billion so maybe it's 10 or 15% of that uh stimulus so it's it seems like real money to me but anyway that's an expansion of what's called the child tax credit and it's been it's being promoted as as the the greatest initiative ever to fight child poverty Anybody who knows anything about how these things are counted knows that when they pass out this $250 billion supposedly to fight child poverty, it will not be counted, and child poverty needle will not move one billionth of an inch. That's just the way it's done. So it's a total scam if the concept is we're fighting poverty. But why not, why not present an honest accounting of whether they're actually in poverty or not? Yeah, very interesting. We've got just one minute left, Francis, but I'd like to kind of bring this conversation full circle because we started out talking about the futility of so-called green energy, which just relentlessly drives up the price of electricity. If we're trying to make low-income people better off, one practical thing we might do is not double the cost of electricity uh, through foolish green energy initiatives because that's real money uh, to people who are, who are living on modest income. Well, the whole Green New Deal thing is a is uh, uh, to use a Chuck Schumer term, a dagger to the heart of uh, poor people who have high energy costs. And how it can be justified is beyond me. And when and when I hear them, I, and one of my blog posts that got a lot of play early on was called the the uh, Looking Glass World of um, of climate justice, which which addressed the people talking about climate justice, like the poor are hurt by climate change, and the answer is to raise the price of electricity for the poor. I could never ever figure that out. <laughs> right. All right, Francis, we got to leave it there. Thank you very much, Francis Menton, for Thank being on you. the Van Prof Show. Feeling 
great to be with you. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. No more, Mr. Clean. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.